Hey, it's Michael, and welcome to another podcast episode. Before I get into today's episode, we wanted to make an offer to you. If you go to firmsconsulting.com, you will see a pop-up or you'll see a place to add in your email address or you can register on the Firms Consulting website. If you register onto that website, you get put into an exclusive list. And what you get in that exclusive list is samples of the content we have available to FC Insiders. So that said, I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hi, Kayvan. Welcome to the show. Hi, Michael. Uh, thank you. Great to be here. So it's always good to have you. Yeah, and I must say, I think the audience doesn't know this, but congratulations on becoming a father. Thank you so much. Yeah, first time for everything. First time for everything. And I also believe that uh, you're working on a second book, right? Indeed. Yeah, that's even a second time for a second time. So you had a baby and a book during COVID, which is a wonderful way to be trapped at home. <laughs> gave me a, a lot of uh, extra time to think and uh, I thought uh, a book would be a good way to collect my own thoughts indeed. That sounds amazing. So today, I mean, you know, you've got an amazing background. So I thought having you on the podcast would be a good way to get our audience to think in new ways, right? But one of the things that struck me about your latest work is this, we live in a world where everyone tells you you've got to hire armies of people to have eyes in their back to see everything that's happening and see every disruption that's coming their way. But, but you've been teaching and talking <laughs> about this concept of focusing on what you can only control. Is that right? It's correct, because if you focus on all the things that are happening, emerging as, uh, as much as you can, even if you could, then the question becomes, uh, what do I do? And that's a question many of my clients, you can imagine, struggle with. It's very overwhelming. Yes. And it's only when you bring these two things together, you know, what matters, but also what can you control? And that's where the basis of the book uh, comes. That's a sense of empowerment in today's uh, crazy changing world. So through all your work, you know, with McKinsey and you work with many different entities, from what I understand. How have you distilled out as this being something executives need to hear today? Uh, well, I didn't start with uh, the thought that this would be necessary for others. Yes. It was very much for myself. In the past, I've had my own startup. I uh, like to build many initiatives. I tend to get into situations where there's so much happening at the yes. same time. And these ancient books, these philosophies, focus on what you can control, what matters, brought me a lot of peace, calm, clarity to do all of that. It's only after many years I noticed that my clients were interested. They said, Kayvon, you read all these books. Can you tell us in five minutes how they could help us? Because we don't have time or interest to do everything that you do. And that's how it started. It started with uh, realizing that these topics are not only good for me, but they were very practically helpful for those around me. So this is a lived experience. This is based on your own journey of trying to find models to help you manage ambiguity. And you found that this works for you. And when you guided other people to do the same thing, they got better results. Correct. And from one thing came the other. Those five minute conversations became a, a mini session during lunch. Those lunch sessions became a Friday afternoon workshop. And that's how the whole idea of the Young Leaders Forum came into existence. What would happen if we would actually put young leaders two full days together without any PowerPoint, which is a bit uh, <laughs> uh, unconventional yeah. Yeah. 
or a consultant, you could say, but also without any tables to have real conversations with each other. What helps you? How do you stay sane in a crazy world? And what can we learn from each other? And all those lessons combined, you know, of course, I learned a lot. Participants, the clients learned a lot. Started here in Amsterdam. It grew all the way to Australia, the US, Latin America and beyond. And after a while, I felt, well, how can we make this content accessible for everyone who's not part of these programs? And that's how the idea for the book came into existence. That's interesting. So the Young Leaders Forum was a way for you to get your this learned experience out to a broader audience. And then mm -hmm. you found that the, even though the audience was larger, you needed to get it out to the whole world, which is where the latest book comes from. It was a bit of a surprise. It was very well received in Amsterdam. I thought, well, maybe it's a Dutch thing. Now people here enjoy it. And all of a sudden, there was a lot of demand for it in Germany and then in Scandinavia and then other places. And one of the first things I realized was that the, the common challenges are much stronger mm -hmm. than the differences between all these different cultures and countries. The concepts that the young leaders or senior leaders are struggling with, there was much more overlap. And I found that very surprising back then. But then that, of course, gave me the encouragement to continue with all of this. So let's unpack the concept, right? It's a focusing mm -hmm. on what you can control. So to the average executive listening or business leader, that sounds counterintuitive because a lot of things that's important to the business, you cannot control it. So how do you explain this to people? So I explain it as having a foundation you can always fall back on at the first place. So if you don't know at any given moment of time what's within control, what's not, yes. either it's in the external world or the way you perceive it, and you don't feel comfortable and you don't have the mastery to provide meaning in a challenging situation, to create, protect the positivity in a team environment, yeah. to use your natural gifts and strengths, it's gonna be a very difficult marathon, of course. And in this case, if you don't have the clarity of what you can control as a foundation, well, it becomes very difficult to build anything on top of that. How do you place your strategic bets without knowing how the future will unfold? You have ups, you have downs, you have mistakes, you can correct. But I see a clear difference between people who have that solid foundation, but can always fall back on, and those who don't have that foundation. I like this. I like the way you frame this. It's very interesting. I'm thinking of an analogy for the audience so they can process this and understand mm -hmm. it as, as well as you're doing it. And I remember I once spoke to a general in the U.S. Army, and he had a very similar uh, logic to what you were saying. He said that mm -hmm. the most important thing soldiers focus on when they're deploying in you know, hostile environments is they focus on what they can control, which is protecting their base. Mm -hmm. No matter what happens, no matter how often they leave the base, they know that their fallback position is what they can control, which is the base. And they always do their best to protect the base. And if anything goes wrong, they fall back, they regroup at the base, and they move out again. Is that a similar analogy to what you're saying? It could be because the question is imagine somebody finds having a sense of meaning very important in life and that can help this person pull through challenging times yes. now you can hope that meaning comes your way coincidentally or by chance 
but it gives a lot more peace of mind knowing that when you need it the most, you have the skills, the tools, the techniques, the ways of thinking yes. to create that sense of meaning in that moment, to have that within your control. And with that peace of mind, you become, of course, much less dependent on the external world. And yeah. you can leave these things not to chance, but much more to choice. I like that. So what you're saying is that let's assume for an executive is having a difficult day at the office and he feels or she feels a lot of things out of their control. Mm -hmm. What you're saying is that they should pause, step back and focus on the things they can control to regroup, gather their thoughts, gain confidence and then move out to the things that they cannot control. You're not saying ignore the things you cannot control. You're just saying step back at moments, right? Yeah, there are different ways to look at it. You can say a step back, but you could also say to an extent what the ancient Stoics would do, be unaffected. All of this is there's not uh, it's because of, uh, let's say, uh, moral reasons or, you know, you should do this or that. Who am I to tell uh, the listeners what they should do? But it's from very pragmatic reasons. We all have 24 hours per day so far as a gift. It's very easy and it seems to become easier uh, with each year to lose much of your time, much or money of those hours, your energy, your thoughts on all the things that you cannot control in the world. Yes. And it's too easy, so easy that weeks can pass by unnoticed uh, in that aspect. Now, you could also have reinvested those 24 hours, your blood, your sweat, your tears, yeah. your ideas, your energy, and all those things where you could make a positive difference. And that's the basis of this thinking. It's much more, you could say, for pragmatic, almost economic reasons. What do you do with the limited time and attention that you have? Okay, so you're saying you need to do the things you cannot control, but not let it impact you and worry you, right? And then let's switching gears, you said something quite important, and I think it's the key of this, right? Anyone should be spending time on the things they're good at and the things they can control, because time spent any other way is probably going to be unproductive. It's very helpful to know what you're good at and what gives you energy. And speaking from my personal experience, it took a while to realize that many things that give me energy don't give other people energy. Yes. It's almost yeah. difficult to imagine to a certain aspect. But the book also focuses on creating that awareness of yeah. yourself, but also of your team members and other people that you work with so that it's much easier to think, okay, we know what the goal is, but how do we get there? Okay, what are you good at? What do you get energy from? What not? Uh, how about me? And there are different roads that lead to Rome. Which one will we take? Instead of just leaving it to chance and see how we get by every day and hopefully one day we'll reach that uh, same destination. And I think, you know, from your experience running startups, you mentioned and so on, if you don't know yourself and how you get energy, and where you get energy from what you enjoy, it's very hard to build a balanced team because you don't know what you need to complement yourself, right? You don't know what you can complement. And at least most people I work with don't have the luxury to just say, okay, we'll, we'll just hire more people. Yes. You have to do what you can with what you've got. But the interesting thing is not many people really know what they've got. And many Team members might have skills that uh, you might be unaware of. Somebody is very good at risk management. Somebody is very entrepreneurial. Some person has a fantastic sense of humor that helps in negotiations. How can you make sure that all these talents, all these skills actually find a place in the day-to-day -day work yes. and teams don't just leave them outside? 
And when thinking about what you can control, it sounds very simple, but how do you know you can control something? How do you know these are the things you should see mm-hmm. as the foundation that you can control? So what I did throughout the years, actually starting with what do I find important? What helps me? What do I need? And over time, you learn that many of those needs are actually quite universal. Yes. And it's only the second step to say, okay, of all this, what can I control? In this case, an example would be around uh, positivity. I find it very helpful uh, for a variety of reasons to protect that sense of positivity, especially during difficult times. Yes. But how do you control that? Uh, You don't have a switch to say, okay, now everything is going to turn positive. It almost feels very much out of reach, especially when all this negative news reaches you. And uh, realizing that despite what happens in the outside world, you can always fall back on the positive emotion of gratitude, which is always within your control, especially if you practice it. And for me, that was a big insight. I realized that, okay, I cannot control whether there's good news or bad news today to a certain extent. But at the end of the day, I can pause. I can think about what I'm grateful for personally, professionally, recharge myself before I see my family or others around me and before I walk into a team room or connect with clients. And that was fantastic. I realized that, okay, positive emotions matter. And actually, there is a way to fall back on it. And there are positive emotions that are within control more than others. I like that. You talk about gratitude, which is important, positive emotions. In a Mm -hmm. way of summarizing that is to say the state of mind you're in Mm -hmm. dictates the lens and how you interpret what's happening to you. Very much, very much. And what I found very interesting is, but how do you get into that state. There's no indeed magic button to say, okay, now I'm going to be less affected uh, by something. And there are very simple tools that have been passed on in different languages, you could say, different ways throughout generations, because our great, 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 great grandparents also struggled, of course, with difficult times. And I found it highly rewarding, exciting, and to a certain extent, fun to collect these tools and to realize that, okay, imagine somebody has received negative feedback on a presentation, on a document, on a conversation. What does it mean to be less affected? Well, maybe it's good to analyze the news. Uh, Was it personal or was it impersonal? Was it affecting everything you did? Or was it only a part of something specific you did? Is this something that is important for now or forever? And often by asking these very simple questions, these very simple lenses, you might notice that, okay, yeah, it it was something negative, but actually it's much more manageable looking at it through this lens than my initial reaction. And it's about having that grateful state. A lot of people, they get so sucked into the trauma and drama of growing a business, they forget that they should be grateful for the opportunity. No matter what's happening, that's something to feel good about. But switching gears a little bit here, Mm -hmm. I also find working with executives, the state is important, but I find two other things work well. And I wanted to hear your perspective on that. The the second one is that physiology also matters. That's the way they carry themselves. And Mm -hmm. I find the third thing is the language they use to explain, define, and talk about what's happening to themselves. Do you find that is also similar to what you're seeing in your work? 
Very much, yes. And at the basis, I would say it's the lens that you use to look at a certain situation that automatically will affect all those points that you mentioned. Yeah. The words, the language, and all of that. And at this particular situation, imagine I hit a difficult roadblock. I ask for a certain initiative, or the product launch was not as successful, or somebody denies a request, uh, and so forth. We all go through all these things. And if the lens is, oh, it's also difficult, and who am I to lead, and maybe I'm not up for it, You can imagine there's a lot of different decisions and actions and language and word that come out of it. If the lens is one that you would borrow from someone like Aristotle, who would say that especially difficult times are opportunities to build your character, as only when you don't want to practice patience is the only time you can practice patience, so to speak. In the face of real fear, you can practice courage and so forth. Then... This is a unique moment. And what kind of leader do you want to be 10 years from now? And how does this setback actually create that opportunity to build your character? And you can imagine you have different words and decisions and languages that come from that. Yes. So in your work, you find while posture and language are very important, they're all driven by the state. The state, the way you look at something. And It's not to say that one way is better than the other. I don't like to impose any lens. What I do like is to help clients, including also myself, to switch between these lenses, like shifting gears in a vehicle and to see, okay, is this a helpful lens? Is this good for me? Is this good for my team? If not, maybe indeed I can see maybe there's a different lens that can be better. And that sense of being able to switch, of course, creates a lot of self-confidence, a sense of empowerment, a lot of energy that comes with it. And touching on the concept of lens, I remember Mm -hmm. speaking to an executive in an automotive company recently. He runs a strategy unit for a very large company and he wants Mm -hmm. to learn how to think the way a BCG or McKinsey partner would analyze the issues. And one of the things I was telling him is that at his level, he shouldn't be doing that work because <laughs> he's very senior. Someone below him needs to be doing that and he needs to think about what they're doing. And the point I want to make is that state is important, it's paramount, but then linked to that is also the identity you have of yourself. Mm-hmm. If you just see yourself as doing the work, you'll always find better ways to do the work. But if you have mm-hmm. an identity of someone being the leader who manages people doing the work, then that's how you try to optimize your life. So, you know, we have state on one hand and then we also have identity on the other hand. How do you see that interplay with your clients? With my clients, it's very important. It's these distinctions that help a lot, as you mentioned. And to maybe simplify it even further, it's very much making a distinction between what's the goal and what are the means. Yeah. And it's easy to lose sight of the goal or and sometimes the means seem to become a goal in itself. So everybody is working on a certain presentation and then the presentation seems to become a goal in itself. And then the question is, well, actually, of course not. It can never be a goal in itself. What do you hope to accomplish with this presentation and which role should you take in that? What does that imply for you and for others? And 
if you're indeed too much stuck in doing certain things, well, you're getting in the way of the bigger goal. If you're not empowering others, if you're not helping team, if you're not soliciting help, if you're not looking at the, the skills and the strengths that everybody has to bring with them. So it's a way to step back and be flexible. Okay, what's the real goal here? What do I have at my disposal? What can I do with what I've got? And what does that imply for my role, for other people's role? And you could say the same for not a presentation. You could say the same for a whole business unit. You can yes. say the same for a team. What's the real thing we're trying to accomplish here? And your work with McKinsey is also with these same concepts? It started very broad. So I started personally directly as an analyst, I would say an associate project leader. And it was as broad as it gets, uh, as a sure, generalist, generalist, you could yes. say. Now, over time, when I noticed that many of my clients were not only struggling with the content of the projects, but also with just managing the day-to-day -day life yes. of uh, all of it, that's where slowly, gradually, much more of the focus of the work that I did was to also help in that aspect, in that regard. And many of the topics that we talk about today come from that. Okay, so initial thinking is not just from your startup work, it's also from your time at McKinsey. Correct, yes. And working under challenging situations, a lot of pressure. Typically, people need to work with consultants, things that uh, sometimes they cannot solve by themselves. And it was the chance of being in all those different situations from back 2007 mm -hmm. so it was uh, before the financial crisis yes. during after all the other ups and downs that it became for me crystal clear that through all those ups and downs those who don't master these ways of thinking and these skills have a disproportionately difficult time and that's, of course, one thing to say, okay, it would help that individual. But I also see the effect it has on teams, on whole organizations, when the leaders don't feel that they are equipped enough themselves. Yes. So in terms of the way you structure this, you have a, a way of working with an individual executive, but also a way for them to sort of cascade that into their teams? I attempt to bring these concepts in the simplest way as possible yes so that people don't need to spend too much time on okay how do i teach yeah. this to my broader team i have many clients who say oh i got it the logic is clear i get it and next week i'm gonna host a short session with the rest of our team on indeed what gives you energy what are you good at and the other way around and how can we reassign tasks and go with it. And that gives me a lot of fulfillment so that it's not dependent on me. It can't be dependent on you because there's only one of you, right? Yeah. Uh, that was also one reason to write the book. Yes. And for me, highlights of the week are messages from people I've never met and maybe never will meet, but yes. who would love to say, hey, I use this concept. Thanks a lot. And this is the result that came out of it for me and my team. For the sake of the listeners, let's talk through, if you can, any client, I mean, you can keep the details confidential, that how have you helped them imp implement this, think about this, and how have they used it? So I would start by saying that I've worked with many individuals yes. who, for a variety of reasons, felt that they were stuck somehow in their organization or yes. things were not as they wanted. and. To the verge of uh, maybe you know 
looking elsewhere. Maybe there's the grass is greener at a different organization. And these are idealistic individuals, talented individuals, high energy. They want to do a lot of good, but they somehow miss a bit of the map. How do I actually channel all that energy? And my intent didn't start off by saying I want to change organizations, but I want to help these idealistic uh, leaders become successful and help their organizations despite all the challenges and all of that. And by bringing them together, they realize that the grass is not always greener somewhere else. Uh, Every organization has its great things. It has its own imperfections. So uh, you can spend a lifetime finding for that perfect place to be, or you take the initiative to lead wherever you are at that moment. And after a while, of course, what also happened was those same individuals said, well, uh, I have many people here who are also interested in all of these concepts. I'm helping implement all of this. Can we think of ways that make it easier for our processes, the way that we evaluate people, the way that we hire people, the way that we work together and all of that. What are small things that make a big difference? And that way also, whether it's a small firm of only a few dozen people that is scaling rapidly, or it's a large multinational where so many people work that you can never meet everybody at the same time. That was also a fantastic way to see what are small things that can make a big difference given this whole setup that exists. I was speaking to David Bradford, who teaches a course called Touchy Feely at Stanford. Mm -hmm. And we had a long discussion and we were talking about, it's taken a long time, but we noticed a general trend over the last three decades. There was this big emphasis on analytics 30 years Mm -hmm. ago. But today executives seem to be embracing what we would call the, the soft stuff in business, (laughs) about how to empower individuals to be their best, as opposed to using HR as a way to control individuals. Do you feel that that kind of trend will continue whereby executives are open to finding ways to be better individuals? I've noticed that indeed as the years pass by as a consultant. One practical reason is not necessarily because this is a philosophy uh, for individuals say okay this is how i want to lead many of these topics even if they would have been luxuries in the past they have become necessities yes as i shared a bit earlier you don't have the luxury to say oh well we have enough people so we'll get the job done one way or the other no we don't have enough people let's figure out uh, how to do the best we can with those that we have Let's uh, figure out why these people work here. Maybe we can work on the same project for different reasons. So everybody has a different sense of meaning out of all of this. And that trend, as long as these challenges remain, definitely will continue. I remember speaking to an executive from an automotive company in Japan. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking that all of the concepts you're teaching and you work with, with clients is very relevant to a country like Japan, which has a declining population. So they have to find ways to empower their employees because they're going to have to keep their employees longer. And they might be competing for the right talent. Exactly. Um, So in a market whereby you just cannot replace your employees, and as you say, you're competing for a shrinking pool of, I don't like to use the word labor, I would say talent, mm -hmm. 
this concept of finding ways to make sure your employees know what they like, know how to focus on what they can control, is a way to get more out of their workforce, right? Well, you allow a lot of initiatives that would otherwise go unnoticed to naturally emerge in a situation in a rapidly changing world. And how do you channel all of that? Well, you can have very strict processes that could be helpful depending on the organization that you're in. But if you want people to have that sense of empowerment in a world that it's very easy to feel overwhelmed in, if you want to have individuals that can motivate themselves without you, that bring their thoughts, their energy, their engagement, and all of that with them, the good news is that small things can make a big difference if you create awareness around them. And once you start, you'll notice that it's a journey that is so fulfilling that many clients also say, I, I wish I had thought about these things earlier. I wish somebody had taught me these things when I first joined the office. Today is an opportunity at least to do and help others with that. Yeah, everything you mentioned about in a more engaged, more happy, more fulfilled employees, I think something every CEO wants for their workers, mm -hmm. but they usually don't know how to achieve that. And that is because it has, of course, so many different uh, facets. Now, yes. you can say as an organization, how do we design things? How, what is uh, the way, what are our policies? And, and you name it, there's a lot you can, of course, do, yes. at least not hindering all of those things that you want to accomplish. But in the end, there's only so much because the individual, the talented uh, upcoming leader has to do things uh, themselves uh, as well. And it's much more realistic proposition to say, yes, things are not easy. Things are complicated. Our organization does have aspects that can come across as bureaucratic, right? We're not going to pretend things are nicer or better or easier yeah. than they are. At the same time, we want to empower you with the tools to uh, thrive through all of that. Yes. And that is much more within reach than waiting for the perfect organization to all of a sudden come into existence. But I think an important point, which is there, but maybe we should just pull it out for the audience, is that <laughs> this is not about doing something because it's nice to do it. This is because mm -hmm. it makes you a better company. It gives you a competitive advantage. Immensely, because if these are the talented people who then think, I found a way to channel that idealism, my creativity, my ideas, I'm learning so much, despite the difficulties or because of the difficulties here, keeping those talented people is a competitive advantage. Have Finding ways to translate that energy, those ideas into practical, tangible things for customers, for the community, is of course a competitive advantage. And the good thing is that you're not creating something new in a way. You are just helping to turn on the lights. You're yeah, like creating that. awareness of what already is there, but sometimes it's so close to our eyes that we don't see it. Hence the title of the book, What is Water? Stories of fish not knowing what water is because they're so immersed in it. Because they can't see it, but they feel it every day. And sometimes <laughs> you don't even feel it. You know, coming back to this idea of getting the best from employees, I can think of the example of the city-state of Singapore, right? Mm -hmm. It's got a population which is roughly five to six million, depending on how many expats are there. You can't put many more people onto that island. It's not that big, right? 
Mm -hmm. So how does Singapore continuously grow its GDP? It has to find ways to make its employees more productive, right? There's not many other ways to do that. And I'm thinking that one of the ways to do that is you have to find ways for the population to be more creative, to find mm -hmm. what they're good at, to create more value for the world. To have uh, most likely active citizens, people yes. who care about their community, who care about their neighborhood, the place that they live, and understand that there is a positive difference that they can make whoever they are, wherever they are, while also understanding that their preferences, their ways of looking at things, their talents could be very different than their neighbors. And it's the same that, way of yeah. taking those principles that you've been talking about, and it applies to countries as well. Yeah, wherever there are human beings, these content and topics will apply. This applies in, in families. I notice myself now, having becoming a father for the first time yeah. during a pandemic and all of that, where well, maybe in a different year, our family would have much more friends and family coming over and maybe helping and giving tips and advice and everything that you yes. have when you raise a child as a community. But now it comes down to, okay, what are the things I'm good at? How can we make sure that the resourcefulness, how can we make sure that the ideas and all of that, we can make the most out of what we have in this current situation together? Do you think COVID has led to a deeper appreciation for bringing out the best in employees? Do you feel that's a shift that's occurred because of the virus? So I could not, of course, speak for so many organizations around the world, but one thing that I have noticed, and it sounds a bit like a paradox, but it's in difficult times that many of the topics that we talk about find a new appreciation by yes. people because they're not luxuries anymore. They are uh, much more necessities. And if you have been able to take whatever difficult situation that uh, probably nobody would have chosen for upfront, but given the situation as it is, at work, at home, in your community, and finding ways to build a stronger character, practice the values that are important, becoming more creative, resourceful, and you name it. Yeah. None of that is a guarantee for success, to say that, but it is a guarantee that uh, over the years, you will be much more prepared maybe for the next crisis. Yes. You will be in a much more better position to prevent uh, many of the things that caught you off guard or not. So difficult times force people to reappreciate many of these ancient lessons and wisdom. Yeah, I'd say, you know, it's like anything in capitalism. A crisis is an opportunity. Some companies will seize the moment and do something amazing with it. Others will have the wrong lens of state and see it as a time to bunker down and not change. So we'll see some winners, we'll see some losers. That's normal. But mm -hmm. do you find that culturally, and mm -hmm. I'm going to be sensitive about this, but do you feel that you need to adapt the thinking as you move from culture to culture? No, one thing that surprised me was that concepts were so universal that I barely would notice that uh, I'm in a new country when that's you speak to people. That's very interesting. And uh, of course, there are nuances and all of that. But if you go back to the cultural traditions of any country, you go there, you will notice at least uh, I've seen no exception, 
yes. that each culture, each generation has passed on the wisdom of that sense of gratitude in life. Yeah, that is true. One that way or another. And that shows that every culture figured out that not only in good times, but especially in difficult times, if you practice that skill, that way of looking of gratitude that will help you pull through better than you otherwise would have. And if you think about the topic of creating a sense of meaning, those who have a why can bear almost any how, as the philosopher Nietzsche would, uh, would say, every culture passes that on. What are you contributing to? How is this helping your community, your family, your organization, your anything else that is of importance to you? And that's also the beauty of many of these topics, that uh, they create a common language across cultures because most organizations i work with work across cultures yes. and once you have a team in a virtual setting with different cultures different practices different preferences trying to make the best out of it virtually you can imagine that it's so difficult that there's so much misunderstandings that can happen yes. so many difficulties and so forth and these topics help if you put people together and have a conversation. Oh, hey, what are you good at? What gives you energy? What's good for us to know about that? All of a sudden, you have a foundation that you can always fall back on. And you might be surprised uh, how much of a buffer that will be for when the bride does get bumpier. Yes, that's true. You raise a very good point, which many people don't think about. But it's not possible to tailor this to different cultures because it's almost rare you're going to be speaking to everyone from one culture at once so it's going to be mixed you've got to have a foundational language that you can use that appeals to everyone and connects Correct. with everyone fortunately there is a lot that does connect and there could be nuances yeah. when it comes to the application so imagine a topic again like having a sense of meaning why do you do what you do yes now for some person it could be because this helps my community for someone else it could be because this uh, eventually will help my child to go to the school that i want them to go yes. uh, for someone else it could be this helps our family company to stay in existence so the answers can differ in a very practical sense yeah but those also differ within a culture yes so but the commonality of let's take a moment to understand how this is helpful, how this is meaningful on that level helps. It seems that everyone in every culture is looking for self-esteem and gratitude. You could uh, indeed say that, and even on a higher level. So in the book, it's about protecting that sense of positivity. Yes. And gratitude helps, of course, with that. Or having a filter, how do you deal with negativity? Clearing out the noise helps again with that positivity. If it comes to connecting with people, a universal aspect of that is the emotional world of every person you work with. Now, some cultures are more open about it, where maybe some emotions uh, get discussed or not, but each person still has those emotions. And the topic of empathy, being able to step into the shoes of the other, understanding the emotional message that the other person is sending, understanding the context of that emotional message at the same time, and showing somehow that you see that, that is, again, a very universal thing. Now, do you talk a lot about it or a little about it or not? But skipping it can create a lot of distance between yes. uh, individuals and 
between leaders and groups that they're leading, organizations and broader communities. Yeah, every culture has certain things that's important to them that you need to address, or at least you need to build into. And as you mm-hmm. said, if you skip over it, that glue that holds them together, that social glue is missing. I like mm-hmm. it. It's a good example of how you put it together. Kevin, <laughs> I wanted to thank you for an amazing podcast. Thank you so much. Uh, well, thank you for the invitation. Uh, time flies. Is there anything you want to add for our listeners before we wrap up? I can share my uh, wish or the listeners to pursue these topics uh, for themselves and not only for themselves, but for the sake of others, for the people who are dependent on them, the organizations, the communities, the team members. And if this is not always easy to think and to take the time to do so, you can imagine it's also not easy for others. So it's mainly a wish. And the book, of course, is a way to help share the tools so you learn from all the thousands of other people who I've had the chance to work with and capture their lessons. But don't take it as a given. Add to it. Share ideas. Write your own book if you like. There's so much we can do to uh, help each other during these times. Exactly. And of course, you know, if people use the book and the ideas that you've been teaching and have good experiences, they can always write to you as well, right? Of course. Yes. Speaking of things that give you energy, well, these topics and thinking about them, do this, do so. so feel free to uh, reach out. Take care, Kevin. It's always a pleasure to speak to you. We'll have you back soon. Thank you very much. And hopefully till soon. Bye-bye. That's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed doing the episode. Finally, I want you to remember that the only way to get access to our special offers, the only way to get our special pricing, and the only way to get samples of our content is to join the list on firmsconsulting.com. It's the only way also to get access to our unique advanced content that we make available to insiders. So if you want to get a sneak peek of things, test it out, see what's in there, this is the place to go. And finally, I want to thank you again for making us one of the largest podcast channels around the world for careers and for the 2 million downloads and counting.